Uh, if y'all would turn with me to, uh, to John 8 this morning, the 8th chapter of John for the scripture reading. Uh, John 8 will be in verses uh, 12 down to 20. That's right, 12 That's it. 12 through 20 in uh, John 8. Reading about the light of the world this morning. Probably oh, saying that song. Sorry, I was a little rusty. <laughs> 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 so, light of the world. This morning, and John 8, uh, John 8 and 12. Would you stay in? Find it? <laughs> then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said to him, You bear witness of yourself. Uh, Your witness is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I came from and where I am going. You judge according to the flesh, and I judge no one. And yet, if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone. But I am with the Father who sent me. Uh, it is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. Then they said to him, Where is your Father? And Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my Father. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And these words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one laid hands on him. For his hour had not yet come. Let's pray. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we come thanking you this morning. Thank you for shining the light of your glory into our hearts so that we may see your glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Lord, we're thankful for your grace. Lord, we pray now, as always, when we uh, come to your word, we we pray that you grant understanding. And Lord, that you, by the power of your spirit, make it effective, make your truth effective in our hearts so that we are indeed changed by it from glory to glory. Lord, open our our eyes, our spiritual eyes, that we may see and that we may see with better and clearer vision your glory, your light, and that we also, as you call us to be, may be lights in this world, shining, reflecting your glory into a world of darkness. For the salvation of those around us. And again, so that you are glorified. So that your name is exalted. We thank you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Amen. Appreciate you, Zach. I appreciate that song. That was uh, the, the hymn that we did earlier. was. Um, I was, I was 
as we were singing it, because it's not a song that I'm real familiar with, but as we were singing it, I'm reading the words and I'm thinking, boy, this could um, this could be the outline for the sermon today. I mean, you know, it's it's it's, a, it's there's some good good um, thoughts there concerning the passage that we're looking at. Now, what I'm going to do this morning primarily is is zero in on verse 12, and um, I imagine that's, that's pretty much, <laughs> in terms of, of, of discussion, that's pretty much as far as we're going to get, and we'll come back pick up there tonight. Um, but I wanted you to see that this, this is, as, as um, the following verses show, this is Jesus' own testimony concerning himself, what he is saying here. And, and this, if you're, if you're keeping up with the, uh, with the I am statements in the Gospel of John, this is the second uh, I am statement with the, with the, uh, with the predicate um, describing something about Christ, something that he's saying that he is and he's the fulfillment of. And the first was the bread, of course, back in chapter 6. I am the bread, the bread from heaven, the bread of God, the living bread. And now uh, he says, I am the light of the world. Now, I want to put this in context a little bit, so I just want to read you a couple of quotes um, to, uh, to remind us that what, what is taking place here is during the Feast of uh, Pentecost, uh, I'm sorry, not Pentecost, but Feast of Tabernacles, um, it's actually about six months prior to Pentecost. We just, we just went through Pentecost, the, the Pentecost time last, uh, last week. Um, but uh, this would have been in kind of the fall of the year, probably September, October, something like that. Um, and it was also called the Feast of Ingathering. So uh, they're celebrating, uh, being, rejoicing, being in, as you'll see here in a moment, rejoicing and being in the presence of God in the city of Jerusalem. And they're celebrating the, the ingathering of the, the final harvest. And, and thanking God for His uh, abundant blessings. But I'm going to give you a couple of quotes here again, like I say, just kind of help us put it in context regarding that. And it's, it's important because what Jesus is doing here is, is claiming to be the fulfillment of, of everything that is being symbolized or that is, that is being signified in the, the ceremonies that they are carrying out here and, and in, even in the, uh, the offerings and the, and the gathering itself. So the first one here is um, in regard to the Feast of Tabernacles. And this is a quote from F.F. Uh, F. Bruce. Here's what he says. The Festival of Tabernacles was celebrated on the 15th day of Tishri and the following week. Since the Jewish months were lunar, the first day of each coinciding with the new moon, they cannot be exactly correlated with our calendar of months um, which begin and end without reference to the phase of phases of the moon. Uh, in general, this month of Tishri uh, covers part of September and part of October. If the year in question was AD 29, then the 15th of Tishri fell on October the 12th. So uh, it's a possibility we're talking about October the 12th in, in 29 AD here. Six Jewish months exactly before the last Passover. Now, he goes on to say, by this time of year, all the harvest had been safely gathered in. Not only the barley and wheat harvest, and by the way, that's what uh, Pentecost celebrates, and that's in the, in the spring, 
um, uh, like uh, April, uh, not only the barley and wheat harvest, which were reaped between April and June, but the grape and olive harvest too, the grape and olive harvest. So um, this is what they're celebrating, God's, God's blessings. This feast of ingathering at the end of the year was an occasion for great rejoicing. The Hebrews called it the Festival of Booths because for the full week people lived in makeshift booths and branches and leaves, uh, made up branches and leaves. Town dwellers erected them in their courtyards or on their flat housetops. Many Jews from outlying parts of Palestine and from the dispersion went to Jerusalem for the festival. For this was one of the three great pilgrimages of the Jewish year. So, so this is a, a big deal, a big, big festival in Jerusalem celebrating the ingathering. Now, still, I've got another quote for you here because still within that, you, you've got different ceremonies going on, being carried out. We talked about one last week, and that was the, the pouring of the water. And remember, um, that's when in John 7, Jesus stands up, and they, and they did that on a daily basis. They would go down to the Pool of Siloam, bring back a pitcher of, of water uh, with, a, with, a lot, with a full procession and a lot of singing and rejoicing and praising the Lord, and then pour it out before the Lord. And Jesus stands up and says, If any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. So essentially there, what he is saying essentially is, I'm the, I'm the reality that this water just symbolizes. Um, so uh, now we've got another one today that we're looking at, and that is um, Ceremony of Lights. Um, and I'm going to read you <coughs> a little brief description uh, from D.A. Carson's commentary. And, and he's actually quoting here from the Jewish Mishnah. And here's what, here's what he says. He who, or what the Mishnah says... He who has not seen the joy of the place of water drawing has never in his life seen joy. Now, Carson says, This extravagant claim stands just before the description of the lighting of the four huge lamps in the temple's court of the women and of the exuberant celebration that took place under their light. Quote, Men of piety and good works, unquote, danced through the night. So the, so the, the mission is describing them as men of piety and good works. They danced through the night holding burning torches in their hands and singing songs and praises. That's quite a, uh, quite a festival. So, I mean, it's not just a, uh, a, this is not a somber occasion. They're, they're, again, they're um, celebrating God's blessings and the harvest. And so they, they lit these torches and danced through the night singing Again, similar to when they would bring the water up from the Pool of Siloam, there was dancing and singing and rejoicing. And Carson goes on to say, The Levitical orchestras cut loose, and some sources attest that this went on every night of the Feast of Tabernacles, with the light from the temple area shedding its glow all over Jerusalem. In this context, Jesus declares to the people, I am the light of the world. So, um, again, Jesus um, making claim that the, the ceremony that they're participating in with all of its, with all of its uh, signification is, is pointing towards Him, the reality. He's the substance. He's the fulfillment, uh, once again, we see here, of uh, Jewish 
um, ceremonialism, what it, what it pointed to. Now, let's go to verse 12, and uh, I want to read it again and then give, give us a couple other passages that we looked at previously. Verse 12, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now he starts out with, uh, John here starts out with the word again. John, um, the apostle who's authoring this, this gospel, starts out with the word again. Again, Jesus spoke. And if you uh, remember what we talked about last Sunday night, um, you'll, you'll understand that this is probably pointing back to, uh, for example, verses 38, uh, 37 and 38. In other words, he's picking up from that. In verse 37 and 38, Jesus says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And now John's saying, Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. So he's already said, If you're thirsty... Come to me and drink, and you'll have living, uh, living water. Out of your belly, will, literally, will flow rivers of living water. And now he's saying to them, I am the light of the world. Okay. I want us to consider a few passage, passages here. And, and, and this is one place, by the way, where the, the hymn we did was, was helpful. But, uh, and I'll probably read a line or two from that also. But a few passages that we've already looked at, and let's consider how, how John, the apostle, is using the word light here. And we might think about our own experience too, because it's not, uh, this has some spiritual meaning, but I'm, it, this is one of those, it's not hard to get, is it? I mean, we, we think about the difference in light and darkness and, and how that plays out in our life in, in regard to uh, uh, using it as metaphors for uh, evil and good, light, darkness and light, easy, easy to comprehend, or just thinking in terms of, um, of um, uh, you know, troubles that we go through and, and, and then rescue and our, our blindness and seeing. Um, supposed to be back out at the, uh, to help with the music at the prison this afternoon. Um, and uh, in fact, if I if I slip out quickly afterwards, that's why I'm just trying to get over there in time. But uh, oddly enough, one of the song we, one of the songs that they seem to like is uh, the old Hank Williams song "I Saw the Light." And uh, these are I say oddly enough because these are mostly young guys in there. It's, it's a mixture, but mostly young. And, uh, and nevertheless, they they seem to like that song. Well. That, you may think, you know, that's, that's probably not one of the most profound songs ever written. <laughs> but, but it resonates. It resonates because and it is, or at least in my estimation, it is a very, very good song, well-written song. But it, it resonates with people. People can, can get, a, get a sense of that. We understand that contrast. And we understand, to some degree, um, the despair and the hopelessness that darkness represents and you know the excitement that and, and rescue and hope that light represents and no wonder they used it in celebrating right lamps of light so this is one of the ways that John is using these terms I mean this is a this is a running theme in the gospel in fact 
in the Scripture as a whole, it's, it's not uncommon. This contrast between light and darkness. Darkness representing sin or um, hopelessness, helplessness, something like that, despair. Or sometimes judgment. You know, Jesus, sometimes when Jesus would speak of judgment, He would, he would talk about being cast, and this is particularly in Matthew, He would talk about being cast out into outer darkness. And by the way, um, the, the Scripture is very graphic when it, when it speaks about hell. And I don't know if you've ever spent much time thinking about that, but, but you, um, you, you, you think about, it's unsettling. You think about darkness, thick darkness that you, you can't see anything. You can't see your hand in front of your face. You think about, again, the despair that that would bring, the loneliness, or you think about the, bottom, the, the, the analogy of the bottomless pit, so forever falling, and you know what it's like to fall and maybe to momentarily be out of control. Well, what if that was just ongoing and you never had stable ground to step on? So um, those kinds of pictures of judgment for sin and unbelief are very graphic and very disturbing. And darkness is a, is a way of describing that, of expressing that, as well as um, a way of describing that state, you know, being in that state, um, helplessness as opposed to having hope. So, um, let me go back over a couple of these. Uh, one is in reference to Jesus, of course, in, in the prologue in the uh, first chapter, John 1, verses 4 and 5. John wrote, In Him was life. Now he's talking there, of course, about Jesus, but there he refers to Him as the, the Lagos, the eternal Word of God. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. You see, you've got, you got the contrast there. The light shines in the darkness, and, and the idea being is that uh, Jesus comes into the world, John 1.14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled among us. So the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it, or literally um, did not overcome it. The light shines in the darkness, and it's right in the midst of all of the sinfulness of this world, and um, the spiritual chaos and so forth. And the darkness did not overcome it. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Well, you know what happens uh, if you've ever gone into a dark room and turned the light on. You know which one overcomes the other. The light, so to speak, drives the darkness out, right? Overcomes it. Again, in uh, chapter 1, um, verse 7, speaking of John the Baptist first, says, He came as a witness, that is, John the Baptist came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, that is, John the Baptist was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which, coming into the world, enlightens every man. Again, he's talking about Jesus there. Jesus being the true light, who, coming into the world, enlightens every man. And there's probably different ways you could think about that. He's not saying that every, every person uh, is saved. If he is talking about save, salvation, I would, I would paraphrase it this way. Um, every man that is lit 
is lit by Jesus. I mean, he's, he's the one that lights every man. He's the one who lights every man that is lit. Um, but it's probably more than that. Uh, light, light exposes. So every single person is affected in some way by, by uh, Jesus coming into the world. And then in John 3, verses 19 through 21, this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love darkness. So there you have the contrast again. And John is saying um, that men prefer the darkness. Light come into the world, men love darkness rather than light, for their deeds were evil. That's, that's going to be key in understanding uh, what those metaphors represent too because the light uh, has to do with conduct. And so does the darkness. So he says they love the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. So you kind of get a picture in your mind. Of, you know, there's, there's critters out there in the night that if you... If you turn the light on, they, they scatter. <laughs> you hit them with the light, and, and they get out of there as quickly as they can. Um, I've seen people like that. I used to be one of them. And they turn the lights on, and, oops, time to go. Okay, get out of here. And then there are ones that are just drawn, you know, drawn to the light. Fascinating, isn't it? And that's the way we ought to be, you know, like a June bug. I mean, just, just drawn to the light. And some of us, uh, in, in, at least, um, at least in, it's like the analogy of a sheep. Sheep, you know, you hear people say sheep are dumb. Well, not as dumb as a June bug, but <laughs> June bugs are dumb. So, so you know, that might be a fitting analogy for us, you know. But, but we should be drawn to the light, drawn to the light. But John says that's not the way it was. Light came into the world, but men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And then later, in, uh, and I'll just give you a couple that, that are ahead. Um, in John 9, 5, Jesus will again say, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. And then again in John eleven nine, Are there not, Jesus is speaking, Are there not twelve hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. And then the next verse, John eleven ten. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Okay, so there, there you see that. And, and I'm not, I'm not giving you near all of them, even in, even in the, uh, the writings of John. Um, this is a metaphor that John likes, and it is again so fitting, isn't it? When you think about the contrast between evil and good. Now let's go back to Jesus' words. I am the light. Of the world, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, I just want us to consider a few things here about Jesus' statement, and and in particular, his claim to be the light. And I'm thinking in terms of how how Scripture uses the word, right, Old and New Testament. And so, for example, one way in which it uses the word is to represent the glory of God. I noticed in the song we sang earlier, 
The whole world was lost in the darkness of sin. The light of the world is Jesus. And that's, by the way, what we just talked about. Um, darkness representing uh, sin or evil. And then the second part of that first verse says, Like sunshine at noon, His glory shone in. Well, that's certainly certainly a, a, a good representation of what we have here in, uh, in John. Light came into the world, but men loved darkness. Or Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. His glory shone in into the midst of darkness, the world of darkness. It's, it's like Genesis 1, where you have a, a world of darkness and chaos, and God hovers over it, the Spirit of God, and then He says, light be. So then in the midst of darkness and chaos, light. And that's what we see in John 1. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, John said. Or as the hymn writer says here, like sunshine at noon, His glory shone in. So light often represents the glory of God. I mean, go back to Exodus 13, and I'll just, uh, you don't have to turn there, you can if you want, but Exodus 13, 21, 22. And this is talking about when the children of Israel came out of Egypt and God um, went before them as a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And this is what it says in verse 21. The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. So there you have, uh, uh, again, the glory of God manifest before the children of Israel, lead, leading them uh, through the wilderness, protecting them. Um, you remember when they, when they first crossed over, the, the, or, or right before they first crossed over, the, the cloud formed and was between them and the, uh, and the uh, Egyptian army to, to protect them while they crossed, went across the sea. So there's a representation of the glory of God. And so Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and no doubt that's part of what He's saying there. Manifestation, this time, not just, a, um, not just like a burning bush, or something like that, where God's glory rests for a moment of time, but now God's glory manifests in the flesh. The reality, the substance, the light of the world. So it's the glory of God. And as I was alluding to a moment ago, oh, and the psalm we read earlier too, by the way, the Lord is my light and my salvation, right? Psalm 27.1. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The Lord is my light. It also represents rescue from sin or darkness. Now this is like, like the song I was referring to a moment ago. I saw the light. That's the idea there. I wandered so aimless. Life filled with sin. The psalm says, I wouldn't let my dear Savior in. Then Jesus came like a stranger in the night. Praise the Lord. I saw the light. Rescue from sin. Um, sometimes, and oftentimes, you know, I think back on my own experience. And uh, you, you can identify with this, sure, but um, there's, there's, there's probably not a better analogy to, de to describe 
where I was than this term darkness. And what do you what do you when you think about that? What 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 thoughts come to your mind? You know, void, emptiness. Like I said earlier, loneliness. Are you thinking in terms of the, the emotional effect, you know, despair? I was reading, and, and, and boy, we need to pray for this brother. I, uh, I don't remember his name off the top of my head, but you, you've probably been reading some about this pastor in Iran that uh, is in prison, and they've uh, they put him in solitary confinement. And he had done that once before in the past, and he told his wife later that, uh, he, that it was extremely difficult. And he even said he began to lose his memory um, just from that isolation. So you, you think about that dark, darkness, hope, hopelessness, despair. And that's how sin is. Blindness. Someone that's in sin, you don't, you don't see. Remember Jesus told Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. You can't. You don't see the light. You don't see the greatest reality. You don't see where hope is, where help is. You can't see. You're blind. It's like it's like a, a person who's physically blind doesn't see the beauty of color and light, and a, a person who's spiritually blind doesn't see the beauty of Christ. They don't have the right perception. They don't see things correctly. They don't recognize their own blindness. The Pharisees asked Jesus one time, are, are we blind also? Well, the answer to that is yes. <laughs> yes. And so is everybody else apart from Christ. And that's where we came from. Like John Newton, I, I once was blind, now I see. Darkness. And Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. In other words, He's the remedy for that. He's the solution. He's the rescue. Paul in his prayer in the uh, book of Ephesians, um, I'm sorry, not, in, in chapter 5 in the book of Ephesians, he says, and I'm going to read this whole little paragraph because some of the things that he's describing here, again, are directly related to the darkness that he's going to mention. Ephesians 5.5 5, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And that's, again, uh, something else that sometimes... Darkness represents. Jesus spoke of outer darkness. He's talking about the outpouring of God's wrath. Therefore, do not become partners with them, Paul says. In other words, don't participate in those things. Um, sexual, uh, sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness. Don't participate in those things. But then he goes on to say, now he's talking to the church, he's talking to believers, and he says this, For at one time you were darkness... But now you are light in the Lord. So he's saying that's, that's where you came from. You were darkness at one time. But no longer. You're not identified with that anymore. Don't have any partnership with it. In fact, he goes on to say, walk as children 
of light. Another common metaphor in the Scripture, walk. It's, it's, it's a metaphor for conduct, for lifestyle, how we conduct ourselves. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, Paul says. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. You see the contrast again? Walk as light. Don't participate in darkness. But instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of things that they do in secret. In Colossians... Paul says this in Colossians 1.12 in, in his prayer for the, for the uh, believers at Colossae. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. So out of one kingdom into another, Paul says. Out of the kingdom of darkness... into the kingdom of light. What a contrast. There's a difference. Out, of, out from under the rule of Satan, the prince of darkness, and into the submission to and under the rule of the light of the world. Jesus. Paul says He's rescued us. He's rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. Peter says He called you out of darkness. 1 Peter 2, 9. Called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. <laughs> Jesus says, that's me. I'm the light of the world. As they're celebrating and as they're dancing with the torches, lighting up the city, Jesus is essentially saying, that's just a representation of a, of a reality, and the reality is me. I am the light of the world. I am the embodiment of goodness and truth, holiness, righteousness. I am the rescue from sin, selfishness, from despair, from ungodliness. I am the transforming power carrying people from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Now Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. There's that analogy again, that metaphor, walk. Walk around. It's, it represents conduct. Whoever follows me. So Jesus says, all who follow me, whoever follows me, the idea is going to be like the children of Israel who were led out of Egypt following the, the cloud by day and the, and the pillar of fire by night. They're led. They're led in the, in the right way to go. Led and protected. The followers. The followers. Not, not just those who have been exposed to the light in some way but those who follow. Again, the song that uh, Zach led us in earlier says, We walk in the light when we follow our guide. Simple, isn't it? Just 
Just follow him. That's why Jesus puts it to you. Just follow him. Follow him. I'm the light of the world. And, and nobody shines like Jesus does. I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me, whoever comes after me, the idea there is, is being in submission to His Lordship, being in obedience to Him. Remember, we've been talking on Wednesday night about uh, the Great Commission. We're to go and make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, Jesus says. So these are followers, those who come in and obey, observe what He's commanded. And He says, whoever does that, whoever follows Me, follows the light, will not walk in darkness. So there again is that contrast. It's one or the other. The light overcomes the darkness. So if you follow the light, Jesus says, you'll not walk in darkness. Clear contrast. We can say it this way. Dead or alive. Jordan, I forgot what we were even talking about the other day, but uh, she said that something was... Um, uh, how'd she say it? Mostly dead or something like that. You know? I said, well, you know... It's one or the other. <laughs> that state doesn't exist. I mean, you're, you're either dead or you're alive. And the thing, even the thing she was talking about, either dead or alive. Stark contrast. Stark contrast. I know sometimes something living can have the appearance of death. But in reality, there's, there is a radical, radical difference. Radical difference. Jesus says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. You, you've got light to guide you. We, we have the ultimate example, don't we? In Jesus Christ. We want to know how to live? Look to Jesus. Right? We need guidance for life? You look to Jesus. You, you listen to His Word. Listen to Him speak and follow what He says. You won't walk in darkness. Do you have to live in despair? Do you have to live in slavery to sin? No. Whoever follows me, Jesus says, will not walk. That is, you won't conduct yourself in darkness. You won't live in darkness. You won't remain in darkness. But you will have the light of life. Now, he puts that in the, in the, uh, in the future tense. You, you will have the light of life. And I think... It's probably the same idea that we saw back in... Because uh, you think, well, if we have Jesus, don't we have the light of life now? Yes, but not the, not the fullness. In other words, He's taking us somewhere, and we're not there yet. So, so it's probably basically the same idea we have back in verse um, 38, 7, 38. Whoever believes in Me, as the Scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water... So it, it, it's, it's, it's going to lead to something. And you see that back in uh, chapter 4 as well. Um, when he's speaking to the uh, woman at the well, whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So he's saying this is the path to eternal life. 
And probably also included in that idea is just that He will will see us through to that. In other words, it's not that you just have life now and you may lose it tomorrow. No. You will have it. In other words, you will continue to have it. You receive now and you will continue to have it through eternity. Whoever follows Me, He says, whoever follows Me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's the life He is. All of this is talking about Him. He is the life-giving light. Rescue from sin. That is, He shines the light on our sin. He's the shining light of hope that brings us out of sin. Rescue from sin. Rescue from despair. Rescue from hopelessness. If you believe on Christ, you have the light of life. I want to close with one verse that this puts me in mind of, and that's um, 2 Corinthians 4, 6. Second Corinthians four six. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So here's here's the question. It's like the old like the old song says. So if I'm gonna put it in question form, do you see the light? The light. The light of the world. Because there, there's only one. And I think that's, that's what... It, when he says, I'm the light of the world, that's what he's meaning. I am the light for the whole world. There's no other. Do you see Him? Or to say it the way Paul says it here in 2 Corinthians 4.6, do you see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ? When you look at Jesus Christ, when you, when you re-hear, when you hear about Him, do you see the glory of God? Do you see the glory of God expressed in His life and in His suffering and in His death? Making atonement for sinners in His resurrection. When you, when you hear those things, when you read about those things, when you consider those things, is it all fairy tale or foolishness? Or do you see the glory of God in it? And you say, thank God. Light has shone in the darkness. Because if you see it, if you see it in truth, then what happens is, again, just like God spoke light into existence in the beginning of creation, He has spoken light into your heart and mine. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the light of the world. He's the only one who overcomes the darkness of sin. Are you trusting in Him? John says, I'm telling you these things so that you may believe that He's the Christ, that He's the Son of God, and so that believing in Him, you may have life. Would you stand, please?